Fuldebrandt, publisher of the Western Standard, and you're watching The Pipeline. Today is February 14th. Gentlemen, if you haven't already, order your flowers for your lady, because it's Valentine's Day. If you're already watching this, you're actually probably already up uh, Shit's Creek at this point. I'm joined, as usual, by Western Standard opinion editor, Nigel Hannaford. I remembered. You would. You're, you're uh, from everything I can tell, Judy is very happy with you. At least, what, at least she appears so when she's she, right she certainly knows the right thing to say. Yeah. And so do I. A man a little less uh, studied, but uh, I think does a decent job. I Corey? Like to think so. But as Dave said, I'll probably hit the 7-Eleven on the way home to grab a chocolate rose or That's something. That's normally <laughs> what I do. This year, um, I actually ordered uh, flowers for one of our reporters <sighs> years ago uh, when a family member passed away. And uh, that good deed came back uh, to help me because I got a text from the flower company yesterday. Uh, remind and you. I was like, oh, geez. So hopefully my wife is not watching. and She just thinks I just did this uh, remembering. Spontaneous. I don't remember these things. I'm not very good. All right. Well, we've got uh, really interesting topics today. Uh, good headlines. Uh, Federal Environment Minister Stephen Gilbo says, uh, no more roads. Cities should stop building roads to encourage people to walk more. Get out of your car and uh, walk from Calgary to Edmonton because that's good for the environment. You didn't say that exactly, but uh, more or less saying that the federal government uh, should stop uh, using the gas tax fund to transfer money to municipalities for roads uh, and instead uh, just use it on uh, bike paths and sidewalks, that kind of thing. Um, the uh, Auditor General's report into the Arrive Scam app uh, is out. Uh, how could uh, the budget balloon from about $80,000 to what it did turn out to be? $57 million approximately? 59 and change, I think, yeah. the last count. Was, yeah. Yeah. That's, a, that's a little over budget. How did uh, costs uh, given to this uh, liberal-aligned firm uh, manage to explode by... I, I, I can't even do the math in my head. How many, per, well, how many yeah, times is that? Uh, the leader of the opposition said it was 750%. That's, I checked his mouse. It was actually 746. I think that's more than that. 80,000 to, 80, to 59.5. Yeah, well, We're going to have to do the <laughs> math on that because yeah. that's just so many times over. I'm having a hard time. Have the operations manager it's, check it out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Justin Trudeau says that Pierre Polyev wants to make Canada great again, and Canadians do not want Canada to be great again. A very interesting and bizarre exchange in the House of Commons. I mean, it's one thing to go after MAGA. You know, liberals don't like the MAGA thing. And, you know, it's fine to, I guess, a fair game to go there. But saying um, Canadians do not want Canada to be great again. It's an interesting line of attack. One thing's for sure, the war room in the Conservative Party has already got that clipped oh, out oh. and is working on the ad. So. Oh, it's already done. I'm sure yeah, they've already yeah. got five versions of that yeah. ad done. And, uh, well, and Pierre Polyev says he's going to kill the media subsidies. We'll see if we have time to get that far. Uh, before we get into it, Corey, why don't you tell people about my favorite sponsor? Uh, I'm guessing that must be the Canadian Shooting Sports Association. It must be. Yes, with uh, Tony DiBernardo. Those guys do a fantastic job. If you own firearms, plan to own firearms, you're a hunter, you're a target shooter, you're a collector, you have to be a member of this association. I mean, these guys stand up for you they provide you resources to make sure you can protect your right and ability to use those firearms and they 
like any other association, provide all sorts of resources as well, whether it's for local shows or events and things such as that. So check them out, Canadian Shooting Sports Association. Their website is cssa-cila.org, or can just Google them, Canadian Shooting Sports Association. It's, it's a membership well worth investing in for yourself. You know, Corey, you probably saw this in our pages just within the last two weeks. We had an article there from Tony updating our readers on what was going on in the in the government with regard to firearms. Oh, yeah, so they're on top just, of it. Just search Bernardo and it'll come right up. All right. Well, let's uh, let's start here. Uh, so Federal Environment Minister uh, Stephen Gilbo, he says all sorts of funny things. Um, and, he you know, he gets away with it uh, most of the time, at least outside of Alberta. But he seems to have really stepped in it on this one. Uh, he wants the federal government to stop funding. Uh, so the federal government collects billions of dollars every year in the gas taxes. So that is a tax paid on fuel, presumably mostly by drivers. To, And it's supposed to be used to be put towards roads for those drivers. And uh, he says, well, we need to stop that. We're not going to stop collecting the gas tax. Uh, we're obviously going to keep collecting it. But that money should be used for things that are explicitly not for drivers paying the gas tax. This will encourage people to walk more. He's not incorrect about that. No roads means less driving. And presumably we can walk to Lethbridge from Calgary, uh, if that's that's really what he wants. Um, yeah, Nigel, he, he seems, uh, actually, you, you were just telling me before we started, he held a presser uh, just a few hours ago, and he's trying to back away from that position. Well, I would hope he would. I mean, the, the, the trouble with Mr. Gilbeau, he's one of these very, very oh, sincere you said it right. People. I've been practicing in front of the mirror. Uh, the He says he's very sincere, and every now and then the, the problem that sincere people have is that they tell you what they honestly really think. And he actually thinks that we should get out of our cars and walk more or ride a bicycle. Now, to some degree, uh, there is a limited argument in favor of that. I think we could all afford to take a a walk for the sake of our hearts and our constitutions mm -hmm. during the lunchtime. But I live, you know, have, you live, what, 10 miles from the office? I live 6.2 miles from the office. You come in from Pretis, for heaven's sake. You're dating yourself using miles. <laughs> uh, it's all I use. I have no idea how many miles I am from the office. <laughs> well, but. 16, and in my case, about 9. But anyway, however you do the maths, it's too far to walk. And it's too far to ride, ride a bike unless you're one of these keeners. I have a suspicion, and I think I first had that suspicion when it was one of your columns in about April of last of 2022, when you were speculating that this was all about actually getting people to drive less and making having car a car a luxury, and we're all going to be in our 15-minute cities. We weren't going anywhere. And sure enough, it is now emerging that the electric cars aren't suitable for the environment. There's never going to be enough of them because people won't buy them. There will be less cars, and then he will be happy. So it all makes perfect sense. But I thought you were off on a conspiracy theory there at that time. <laughs> well, sometimes I am. Well, you weren't this time, were you? Yeah, seems to be proving out a bit. Yeah. Well... As usual, today's conspiracy theories are tomorrow's government policy, uh, something we saw too often during COVID. Um, Corey, is this uh, 
did he give any indication about how much he wants the federal government to act on this? Is this going to be federal I, policy that uh, the gas tax transfer cannot be used towards roads, or was he, he just kind of specifics? But I mean, he, he certainly, you know, the, the veil dropped for a minute, and we see the kind of direction he wants to go. I don't know if he's going rogue or if it's representative of the whole government. It, it does seem almost as if Justin Trudeau has just kind of given him free reign in an environment. And he's, the thing people have to realize with Gilbo, he's the real thing. He's a nutter. He's an environmental extremist. I, if you might remember a long time back, mm -hmm. I, I doubt Derek would, but there was a, uh, Edmonton experimented with like a, a graduated ballot sort of thing for their city council. And this fellow named Tucker Gomberg managed to actually get a council position, which never normally ever would have happened. He proposed things like flooding the city streets so people could skate to work. This was an actual council. <laughs> I remember this. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> sadly, he was actually quite disturbed and, and he took his own life at the Confederation Bridge some years later. Mm. So which was tragic. I don't want to jump yeah. on the grave of the man. But he was an example of when you take a, a truly extreme activist and put them into a position with a little bit of authority. But that was still Edmonton City Council. Gilbo is like the Gomberg of federal politics, and he's in a very position position of serious federal authority, and that gets a little more scary because not only would he want to s spread the streets with ice, perhaps, but he's got the ability to force it. And uh, I think we're seeing a hint of where he'd like to go. Um, I mean, the, the man is nuts. He is a true believer eco-fanatic. This is the guy who would scale... Uh, the CN Tower. He um, Ralph Klein's house. He, he he invaded Ralph Klein's private residence. Uh, stuff that would normally uh, make you put you off into a silo where you you could play with your little friends, but you're you're regarded as so far outside the mainstream that you're you're not welcome in a so-called mainstream political party. But here he is in one of the most senior positions in the federal government. Uh, wants to essentially shut down the electrical grid in Alberta and Saskatchewan. Uh, I know the, the Premier of Alberta had uh, a pretty robust response to him yesterday. Well, I think, yeah, about the roads, um, she said he just wasn't realistic. She made the same arguments that uh, we were, we're making here now, that the distances are too much, people have to be mobile, and he's just not accepting the, the grim realities. I mean, maybe you could reconstruct some large Canadian city like Toronto as a kind of a place where everybody gets around in public transit, but it's just plain not going to work in the, in the rest of the, the rest of the country. Um, good for uh, good for uh, the premier for making that point, for sticking with it, and for uh, once again holding up Mr. Gilbo to derision derision that he so richly deserves i bless your heart all right uh well a little less crazy but a little more traditional liberal corruption uh era i mean it's it's rarely a week goes by without some form of liberal corruption coming out but the arrive can app uh dubbed arrive scam now mm. um this is this has got the sniff of the sponsorship scandal on it. This one, this one smells like <clears throat> pure old-fashioned liberal corruption. So the Arrive Can app was originally contracted by the federal government to them. Uh, what, what's it called? GC uh, Strategies. GC Strategies. Now, fun little fact: if you're following along at home, look up their Twitter account and look at who 
uh, GC strategies follows. They follow only one person, Justin Trudeau. <laughs> they have one uh, one person they follow, Justin Trudeau. Now, if I was setting up a, a corruption scheme and I was going to create a Twitter account to try and give the appearance of being a legitimate business, I don't know, I'd probably follow at least three people. Three people, maybe. But not just the one guy who butters my bread. So uh, the, I did the math quickly. Uh, we were talking about it in the opening here about how over budget this is. It's not 738% over budget. It's 737 times over budget. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Like <laughs> seven, like if something goes over budget around the office here by 30%, percent, I get a little, I might get a little pissed, but maybe there's reasoning for it. Uh, maybe, um, you know, some things are unpredictable. Your legal bills, uh, your marketing budget, you know. But if, if something is more than 20% over budget, I answer to our board of directors over it. And, uh, you know, if something was double the budget for the year, I'm going to get some hard questions. And maybe there's a legitimate reason for it. But 737 times, or 738 if we're running up from the decimal here, 738 times over budget. I can't think of anything in the history of the world that has been that far over budget. The entire American space program, the Saturn program, the put a man on the moon was over budget. But it was not 738 times over budget. Uh, Nigel, what, what's been the, the federal liberals' response to the Auditor General's report here? Well, they, didn't, they don't really have one. Uh, and I noticed that the responses in question period yesterday were very downbeat. They, you know, they said what they had to say, but they weren't really trying to defend it. And um, in fact, the minister actually got up and said, well, just because there was a national emergency doesn't mean to say that people get to just throw the rules out. I mean, things were done wrong here. That's about as complete an admission of guilt and defeat, as you're going to get from the Liberal Party. Um, you know, they're, they're, the problem, where I think things went off the rails there, remember when this was put together. It was put together over a period of about five weeks in April of 2020. This was the period of time when all levels of government were speaking the language of war. We had to stick together. We have your back. It's going to take everybody. Uh, we're all in this together. We're all in this together. And it was, um, there, there was a tremendous degree of hype to get people who, once the initial two weeks had elapsed during which we were going to smooth the curve, and it was very clear that the policies were going to extend and that the lockdowns were coming and the masks were coming, they needed a, a, an atmosphere of intensity and alarm and widespread fear. And in that atmosphere, this thing was conceived. And I, th I think that it was just, look, do whatever it takes. Like, you got it, run with it, get this thing done because we need it. It's a national emergency. This would not have happened in more peaceful times. And what I, you mentioned GC strategies. One of the pieces of evidence that, uh, that to me seemed indicative of the state of mind was that the initial news story came out 
there was this plucky little gang of amateurs who put this thing together in their garage and done it for $80,000 and here we are with a Rivecan Canadian genius to the rescue. Well, that's not exactly what happened. They were anything but amateurs. They were, they were smart operators. They, uh, they got the contract and then they found people who could do it for them, subbed it out, took a cut. Uh, this is what came out in the Auditor General's report. And, uh, and then I guess as the whole situation moved forward, well, you know, you've got to upgrade, you've got to keep up with the latest upgrades to the phones and there's five different kinds of phone that you can do it for. And they kept, they kept on spending money on this app. The big thing that went wrong within CBSA was that nobody kept tabs on the expenses. And um, the app didn't really work. Well, it was a disaster the whole time. Which is amazing because really it was nothing more than a form. Yeah. You know, Simple. high school students kind of do that sort of stuff just for, just for the yearbook. So, Corey, how much do we know about who GC Strategies is? They, they have a very opaque public profile. Uh, it has the appearance of kind of a shell corporation. Uh, mm. it, it's got a Twitter account, which follows one person, as I said, just Justin Trudeau. So it's not really... Well, it seems Twitter to account. be two people. There's no history of them being an app development company or those individuals having app development skills. As, as yeah, Nigel said, it, it turned out they farmed it out. They took... Uh, I mean, it reeks. It reeks to high heaven. Uh, uh, my wife, Jane, is a bookkeeper. And when she was hearing this news, you could see, hear the veins popping in her head. She gets upset when I mess up with $20 on one of my forms for books or something. And just something like this to happen in the scope of millions. Uh, it reeks. There was no bid tendered even. These guys were just given it. I mean, they, they didn't even have to show that they had a plan. Uh, according to the AG, I believe that when they applied for this contract, they cut and pasted the requirements from the, the government. Yeah, there, there was no, and you could hear the frustration from the Auditor General. She yeah. said, this, you know, 59.6 million or whatever, she says, this is just a ballpark estimate mm -hmm. because the documents are missing and the emails have all been deleted. Like, it, now it's reeking of cover-up, too. Uh, we're getting into the criminal realm here with some of the stuff that's coming up. And I think the Liberals would be wise to get on this and try to play the victim. I mean, just get up and say, we're going to clean this up. They took advantage of Canadians uh, because there's so far, there's no evidence that it's tied to the party. So well, they, they, they would <laughs> if there's no blood on their hands, yeah. because, you know, they, they could say, Hey, I'm so, you know, it was wartime yeah. and you know, some bad things are going to happen. Some people are going to take advantage of us. Uh, but they, they gave this out, uh, Clearly, it was not a very proper competitive process. Oh, no. There is a place for some sole source contracting in very limited, specific circumstances. Uh, this was not one of those circumstances. Uh, but I, I, I think they is the victim card available to them to play? I mean, they attempted the victim card with the sponsorship scandal in the early 2000s, we recall. That didn't work very well. Uh, I mean... Paul Martin tried to essentially blame his liberal pre predecessor. The public just saw liberal. They didn't really care which faction of liberal. Within the liberal universe, they're like, well, those are different liberals. Canadians are, yeah, but they're liberals. Is the victim card here available for them to play? Or I mean, if, if they play that card, though, uh, you know. You can are, only are do it if, you, if you're not tied to it. Exactly. I mean, even then, as you said, it's under their watch. They're still going to wear some of this no matter what. 
But to date, there's been no evidence tying it to any liberals. It looks like, you know, some senior bureaucrats and CBSA. And then again, the buck stops in the prime minister's office. But uh, yeah, their their quiet lack of indignation on this, I guess, uh, may spell that, or maybe that at least they're scrambling just to make sure they don't have a connection somewhere before they take the offensive. Because this stinks. This stinks bad. Uh, so, Nigel, we have the Auditor General's report. Where, where, does things, where do things go from here? You will recall that... No the, one's been held accountable. No. You will recall that the Auditor General was asked specifically about corruption, and she deflected the question by saying that certain things have been referred to the RCMP. That is where it has gone. So we will see. We will see fairly soon, I should expect, that... If anybody gets charged, uh, and they may well be the, the scapegoats in the, in the issue, but I come back to my original point. Once you create an atmosphere of panic, you can get away with anything. And that's the serious lesson that this, this incident, much more than the money, the money's bad, but if you want to put something across Canadians, you just scare them and you make them afraid, and then you do whatever you want. And something may, illegal may have happened, but the thing is, you know, with these kinds of arrangements, it, it might be illegal in any other circumstance, except when the government does it. Uh, like, you know, for example, uh, it's illegal. I, I, I remember. So when I was finance critic of the Wild Rose, the uh, provincial NDP broke the law by busting through their artificial debt ceiling. And the question was, well, what happens when they break the law? The answer was nothing. It's a law, but there is no punishment to it. And so I, I'm not sure, it, perhaps something, you know, it's maybe something illegal happened here, but when the government does it, it's just almost de facto legal unless someone circumvents very specific areas in criminal law. So I, I'm not sure anyone gets held, uh, has to be held to responsibility here. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, there's certainly a case to be made if there's fraud that has been committed. And on the surface, it looks like there's some evidence of it. But it's a matter, again, of whether there's going to be the government will to go after and scapegoat who's responsible or if they just want to try and make this go away. And if they go after them, the worry is then, well, then they're going to have to defend themselves. And if they're going to defend themselves, they're going to speak about what the government said to them. And I'm not sure that's Does Do the liberals really want these guys on the stand? spilling all the beans not before the next election no around about the time that we get some uh, action on the china interference inquiry (laughs) we will get some action on this yeah all right well uh just the other day um there was a very interesting exchange in the house of commons uh justin trudeau and pierre polyev and uh you know what, what rather than me explain it why don't we just show the video from that uh, that explanation under the previous conservative government everything was perfect and what he is proposing to do is to make canada great again that is not what canadians want he is pining for a nostalgia that quite frankly canadians do not feel they remember what he did as part of stephen harper's failed housing minister he remembers the people who the rights of individual ind, uh, indigenous peoples violated uh, the uh, ignoring of environmental responsibilities and the lack of an environmental and economic plan for the future we're going to continue canada is and always has been our country 
And we want Canada to be a true north that is as strong and as free as it can be in every way that matters, the best country in the world. That's why we're here, that's why we strive, that's why we serve. Canada must reflect the true character of the Canadian people. Honourable in our dealings, faithful to our commitments, loyal to our friends. By turns, a courageous warrior and a compassionate neighbour. It is our purpose that Canada must be great. It must be great for all Canadians. It must be a country of hope and an example to the world. And only when it is these things, when Canada is all that it can be, only then can we say that our work is done. So long before anybody thought of Donald Trump as President of the United States, former Prime Minister Stephen Harper said Canada is great and will be great, etc. So uh, using the word great, uh, and Trudeau says, well, this is clear that uh, Pierre Polyev, who was a junior minister at the time, was aware that Donald Trump would be U.S. president and uh, a campaign on a slogan of making America great again. And uh, Canadians do not want that. They do not want Canada to be great again. I mean, you can... I mean, the, the, the liberal voting base is generally not very sympathetic to MAGA and Donald Trump uh, policy and language, etc. So that's fine. He can make the argument, I think, against, uh, you know, the conservatives picking up on MAGA themes and that. But to, to, to phrase it this way, that Canadians do not want Canada to be great again, that seems like weird politics to me, Nigel. It's very weird politics, Derek. Uh I, but I, I do think that in moments like this, Mr. Trudeau is telling you what he really thinks, just like Mr. Gilbeau gives away what he really thinks in our earlier segment. Uh, Mr. Trudeau, not six weeks after he was elected in 2015, gave an interview to the New York Times, which he said that Canada was a post-national country. And in the eight years that have elapsed since then, we have seen ample evidence that the symbols of Canada before 2015 that we all responded to, he systematically removed and replaced with other symbols more to his liking or simply no symbols at all. He actually does not regard Canada as, he does not treat Canada as a great country. So really, when he says Canadians don't want Canada to be great, I think he's telling you what he thinks, he is projecting what he thinks onto a population of about 40 million, and he may well be very, very wrong in that. I'm but, actually not sure he's wrong, uh, in, in a sense, not well, maybe in the way he thinks, but... Well, then I hope you're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Oh, I, I wish I was wrong, but I mean, Canada isn't a nation by most definitions of nation. It is a state, uh, but I mean, if I, I, I like the thought experiment of if... The world had amnesia. We woke up tomorrow and we lost all of the atlases. We had no idea what the national borders were uh, are. What? How would we draw the, the borders around the world today? And I, I don't think Canada would exist. I think Quebec would exist as a state. Um, but I don't think Canada would because we'd speak the same language as our southern, our southern neighbors, uh, similar cultures. Canada is the product of old colonial European politics. We were just the part of North America that didn't want to govern itself by the late 18th century. So in a sense, Canada isn't a traditional 
nation state, uh, the way, say, France or Germany or Britain is. Um, but I think he, he conceives of it in another way, that we're not uh, a people in, in any sense, and we should have no real self-identity. We should be multicultural entirely, and, and, and that's where he goes. Um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, you know, there, you go back to the Second World War and you see what a little nation of 10 million people was able to do in the fight against fascism. But even then, that was two nations in one state. That, Quebec is its own nation. It, it, well, they, they would certainly tell you that. But the, the, simple, uh, the simple fact is in the name of Canada, with Canada on the shoulder patches, 900,000 people out of a population of 10 million mm -hmm. put on uniform and came out of the end of the war and, as one of the significant mostly Anglo, And they were mostly Anglos. The Quebecers, by a large measure, either opposed well, the war or when, did not participate when, until conscription. When I am in my cups, I do like to say that. But the truth of the matter is that the French-Canadian contribution to that war was significant. It was, but it was in significantly my, my, my lower numbers than an Anglo can. Well, there were significantly less of them to, no, I'm to not offer their pro services. Proportionally. Well... It's a, it was a national effort, Derek, and uh, I, do, I do strongly uh, believe that at that particular time, the a concept of Canadian nationhood had taken hold and was strongly supported by the people who lived here at that time. Now, Perhaps. the 70 years since, there, it's, been it's been taken apart, you know, we, we lost the flag, they, Changed the constitution. They, they increased the. We've even changed the anthem. Demographic Twice. mix. Changed the anthem. You know these kinds of things. And it, but in, in all of those cases, people would still argue. I think that it was in order to to reconstruct a nation, not necessarily to change it. Is only in the last few years that you've really seen the whole idea of the nation of Canada held as a secondary consideration and treated with contempt. Corey, I know you and I have maybe different conceptions of Canadian nationhood than, uh, the, the, than Nigel does, but um, and I, I suppose we've maybe gotten a little off track. And that's, I think we're kind of... Yeah, well, yeah, we're a little off track. Here. Uh, but to what Trudeau said here, that Canada Canadians do not want Canada to be great again, uh, it, it, was this him just kind of getting I, away I, with his own rhetoric, I, I, rhetoric I, against see, Mega, or was this... We might be reading a bit too much into a simple man. Uh, I mean, he's not good when he goes off script. And he's been told, and we can see that from the government lately, they've been failing when they try to go after Polyev. So the instructions have been, whenever you can, go after Trump. Campaign against Trump. Campaign against Premier Smith. Campaign against others. They feel that there's a weaker spot to go against there. And the point I think he was just trying to make was a, a sidelong, unscripted way to try and tie things to Donald Trump, but he tripped on his own tongue. And of course, it came out sounding horrific when you're saying Canadians don't want to be great. And, uh, you know, I, I believe it's, I mean, I don't, I, I agree he's got this warped vision of a post-national state mm -hmm. and, and things like that. But I think in this particular statement, uh, maybe there was a bit of a Freudian underpinning to that, but for the most part, I think he just slipped up. But it's 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 a, a terrible slip up to make when you're talking about national unity. I, I think you made an interesting point there about how he wants the campaign against others because Polyev has turned out to be a hard target to land a punch against. 
And it's not uncommon that liberals will campaign against the U.S. president if that president is Republican. Republicans are the more nationalistic party in the United States. So obviously, if you're not a national of the United States, you're going to feel less um, attraction to American nationalism. Uh, you know, uh, Paul Martin would regularly campaign against George Bush, even though George Bush was not running for Canadian prime minister. He would campaign against Bush. That, that was fairly common. So I, I, would, I would certainly expect him to campaign against Trump. So let's talk about maybe how a Trump presidency, second Trump presidency, or restoration, Trump restoration, let's call it, uh, could affect the next election. It's not for sure, but if I'm putting money down, I, I think Trump is going to be president again. Uh, Biden was the boring, safe candidate in the last election, maybe a, a kleptocrat, establishment Democrat, but he wasn't seen as crazy. But now he is undeniably heavily senile. He cannot operate as commander-in-chief in the United States. He just simply can't do the job, regardless of what you think of his politics. Uh, some people think Trump's crazy, and maybe he is. he is. But he is not senile. And and and, and Biden doesn't know what room he's in. Uh, you know, if you have like a major car accident or something, they'll ask you three questions like, uh, what year is it? What's your name? And who's president of the United States? And I'm not sure that Joe Biden can answer any three of those questions at the same time on any given day. So I, I think there's a very good chance we're going to have another Trump presidency. Yeah. But something uh, different this time is that Trump's not the unknown bogeyman. He might not have appealed to a lot of Canadians, but we also know during the four years he was in power, he didn't do much to harm Canada. I mean, you, no. what, what are you defending us against? I mean, uh, perhaps, uh, you know, feel, people may feel he'd do some damage in the American area, but he's no more protectionist than Biden was or is. And, you know, he's, he's not an expansionist president. He's not going to send the army after us or something. So I, I don't think those shots of trying to say, we're going to protect you from Trump, really going to land that as well as they think they might. Not not that, but I, I think the accusation is that Polyev would govern like Trump. And I, yeah. I think they're, they're, and the biggest knock against Trump is his own personality. A lot of people like myself like Trumpism, but we don't, I don't like Trump, the man, the individual. Uh, so it, it is really the individual character. And I don't, I don't think Polyev is anything like him as an individual character. Um, but I think it's it, the accusation isn't that you'd be supporting Trump and Trump is going to hurt Canada. I think the accusation is that you'll govern Canada like Trump governs America. Uh, how much do you, do you think uh, uh, a Trump restoration, for lack of a better term, will hurt the chances of Polyev in the next election? No, I don't. I don't think it will. Um, I, people are already starting to line up which side of the uh, of the political spectrum they're going to land on and. Um, if you like Polyev now, you're not going to buy the accusation that he's really just Trump in waiting for Canada. And if you do like Polyev, you say, well, whatever. Things were pretty good with Trump for four years, so let's hope they're pretty good with uh, Mr. Polyev. I, I, I can't see that. Uh, I can see them trying, but I can't see them. I can't see it working. Um, as I said, I, I think it's probability, it's not guaranteed, but I, I think probability-wise, it's a pretty good bet to bet on Trump mm -hmm. coming back to the presidency of the United States. It's looking that way. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, I can't for the life of me figure out why the Democrats can't say, let's get someone else who's not entirely off the rocker senile to be pre uh, their, their candidate for president, but this seems to be what they've decided. They're 
putting gra- great grandpa up again, not letting him retire. To be fair, I can't see why the Republicans can't find somebody sane either. So, uh, well, the they, difference they, is they, the Republicans <laughs> like Trump. The Democrats don't even really like Biden. Yeah. The, they're, he's just their guy. No Democrat is enthralled about him. The, the <laughs> radical left of the Democrats don't like him because he's an establishment kleptocrat. Um, I think it's just the Democratic establishment is afraid that the radical, woke, and socialist left of the Democrats will have their chance for a candidate uh, this time if they put up someone who's not as old as Bernie Sanders. Uh, but in any case, I, I think Trump is a pretty good bet. Yes, but it's a, but that's actually kind of dangerous because what happens when you've got a candidate who is destined to lose is that you find a distraction and you have a national emergency and you say, well... This guy is Monica one, missiles, something like that. Well, no American president's ever lost while at war. I mean, it's it's a good incentive for having wars. And Donald Trump is the first president since Herbert Hoover to not have a significant war during his presidency. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Trump would stood a very good chance of getting reelected if he had have had a war, or if he would have leaned into COVID using wartime language so the way other world leaders did. Which uh, war are you associating with Hoover? I said he's the last president who didn't get America into a significant war. Oh, I see. Yes. Yeah. Too busy getting into a depression. No, generally speaking, it's, uh, if, if you if you want to get into a war, elect a Democrat. You got Woodrow Wilson in the First World War. You have FDR in the Second World War. You have Harry Truman for Korea. You have uh, Kennedy JFK and Johnson and for and Vietnam. Trump, yeah. and on, uh, it, it, well, the, the Republicans were the war party, though, for some time. Uh, uh, by Nixon, they became the war party. Uh, but didn't have to actually fight one. Nixon was the guy that got them out of Vietnam. Largely so, yeah. And so without uh, Watergate, probably would have got them out on much better terms. Uh, yeah, but by certainly through through Reagan. I mean, was, I love Reagan as much as the next guy, but Reagan was a hawk. Bush first, Bush the second. They were both hawks. It's the old thing. If you don't want, if you want peace, prepare for war. And that's what the yeah. Republicans have done. Yeah. That's what the Democrats. But have Trump done. is. But, but Trump returned the Republicans to their. Traditional position is the Peace Party, mm-hmm. but they, they for a long time, I'd say from uh, fr- from Reagan on through the second Bush, they were the War Party. But this is it switched back to the way it was pre-Reagan. I mean, just to, just to head off the guys who are already reaching for their phones, I will concede <laughs> that George Bush took the United States into the war in Afghanistan and the war against terror. On the other hand. What else was he going to do? Well, Afghanistan. The trade center. We're way off track, but I'm liking this off track today. Yeah. I, Afghanistan, I totally had to do, but Iraq was a pretty. That was an optional. That that was not a mandatory question on the. Backfire on them once yeah. the things were investigated yeah. and realized. And and I and I think the result of that is one thing that propelled the return of the Republicans to the position as the not anti-war party, but the off, the right. less imperialist mm-hmm. of the two parties. Yeah. Certainly. Okay, well, I, we're way, we got we're going off a lot of tangents today, but I, I'm liking these tangents. Uh, but let's uh, let's bring it back closer to home again here. So Pierre Polyev, uh, when he ran for conservative leader, promised to defund the CBC. Very popular. Uh, he's been very clear on that. He gives these great speeches about, uh, you know, he he looks forward to the day when they can close down the headquarters of the CBC in Toronto. And a family pulls up a U-Haul and <laughs> moves into the C-suite. Um, but he has, until now, uh, not committed to ending the government subsidies to the so-called private sector media. The 
the bailouts, essentially, uh, that the Western Standard painfully has not taken, uh, which is why you need to support us by becoming a member at westernstandard.news. $10 a month or $100 a year. Uh, but he, is, he has not yet committed, until now, to end the private sector subsidies. And I've suspected it's because, well, it's pretty hard for a journalist to cover you fairly if uh, you're promising to end subsidies that are paying for their jobs. I, I mean, if if I'm a reporter and 35, 40% plus of my salary is directly dependent on keeping the liberals in power, I can't cover the other guys fairly. I can't cover the liberals fairly. And so I think he's been afraid of provoking the media uh, against him by saying he'd get rid of these subsidies. Uh, I suspect, Nigel, uh, Corey, that the reason uh, he is just this week promised to do away with the subsidies to Toronto Star, National Post, uh, Global Mail, all these guys, is because he's finally realized that uh, they're not going to give him a fair shake no matter what. So he may as well promise to axe their jobs. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's two reasons. That's one of them. It's a big one. They're, they're not going to give him a fair shake. They're on him like, you know, fleas on a dog. I, I've never seen media so eager to keep the leader of the opposition accountable as I have in this last year while giving a pass to the prime minister who prances out of the country or out of the House of Commons every time a scandal comes up. The other part, too, though, is I think it's becoming evident to Canadians in general that the subsidies aren't working. The newspapers are still contracting. The CTV and Bell are still doing layoffs. Like the subsidies aren't working. They're trying to save uh, outlets, you know, and I, I've got a column coming out in a little mm. while on that, from an inevitable despise. The, er, despise. Demise. <laughs> Demise. I despise yeah. some of them, though. <laughs> and uh, he's realizing that. You know, Canadians are also realizing that this is just throwing good money after bad. Something needs to change, but th subsidizing isn't working. So he's not afraid to go after it. Now. Yeah. Nigel, why do you think he's declined until now to say he would get rid of the subsidies to the so-called private sector media. And as just now said, he'll do it. Well, timing is everything. And uh, one thing is you don't want to put all your policies out there at the moment, but it just seemed like the right time to point out that the, he, that the media, Bell has just laid off, what was it? Five, 5,000 people uh, to get rid of a, get rid of a massive operating debt that was piling up to what was basically a telephone company. So he, he has no friends. It's like Corey says, he has no friends in the media. Why are we keeping this up? Put it out there. The base actually will love it. And they mm -hmm. do. And you can see that from the response that we've been getting. Uh, what, 20 months to an election? What he is doing is taking them on. Have you noticed this? I mean, you kind of don't notice that. Like, he doesn't just, Harper would go to the press conference, take two questions. They would all be always be hostile. They were never simply a request for information. And they'd leave, and they went off and did what they did. Polyev is not doing that. He is going. He'll take as many questions as he likes. But, boy, if you were a reporter, you had better have your questions in order and be based on solid fact or he will make a fool of you. And I don't know why, but they keep coming up unprepared and he eats his apple or he mocks the toque or whatever it is, you know, and they, they go off with their tails between their legs. 
And now he has finally given them the kick in the rear as they leave. By the way, I'm dropping this, and yeah. you'll get a you know getting a job, make toast for old people or something. Yeah, that's that's the the end game here. To, to actually diminish their their influence and the respect that people have for the media by just showing them up. It's working. You know, I've, I've had meetings with politicians and, you know, not infrequently they'll ask me, I'll put it this way. I, when I was testifying at the Senate uh, last year uh, on Bill C-18, the Online News Act, mm -hmm. I was asked, um, I think by a liberal or not technically an independent, but a, a liberal senator, what can the government do to help the independent media like the Western Standard. And what I said was, leave us alone and stop subsidizing our competitors. Stop subsidizing the legacy media and stop trying to help us. Just leave us alone. And that's it. So if Pierre Polyev can end these subsidies to more national advertising might have been, uh, might, might be nice. Uh, well, yeah, I suppose well, so. Don't you think? That, 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 you know what? That's a good idea. <laughs> but, you know, stop subsidizing our competitors and stop trying to pass things like the Online News Act to help us. Because all the Online News Act did was get us kicked off Facebook. Mm -hmm. It costed us a lot of money. So what do you think it cost the mainstream media? Because they were Facebook was paperboy for them, too. Yeah, yeah but not, not in the same percentages. It was uh, it, it, we were, uh, because conservatives are more likely to be on Facebook. Leftists are more likely to be on Twitter. Twitter's still there. Facebook is not for us. So it hurt everybody, but it proportionally hurt more conservative and right-leaning publications. More. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And uh, as a source of revenue, it hurt them a lot less because they're taking the federal government subsidies. So, and they're not really in the business of growing. We but, are. But nobody won. <laughs> no, 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 nobody came out of this yeah. uh, looking good. All right. Well, uh, we're going to wrap it up there. Corey, Nigel, thank you very much. Thank all of you for joining us today on the pipeline. Remember, the Western Standard is federal government uh, bailout free. We rely on advertising and memberships from people like you. If you're not yet a member of the Western Standard, go to Western Standard News right now and become a member. It's only $10 a month or $100 for an entire year to get all access to all Western Standard content. Uh, without that kind of thing, well, we'd have to shut down or take the subsidies like the other guys. So please do it. Thank you very much for joining us today. And God bless. Canadian Shooting Sports Association. Without the CSSA, our gun rights would have been taken long, long ago. These guys are on the front lines uh, helping to draft smart and intelligent firearms regulations and legislation in Canada. And more importantly, educating the public about how we keep guns out of the hands of the wrong people. To become a member, it's absolutely worth every penny. You can become a Western Standard member for just $10 a month or $99 a year for unlimited access.